I want to, uh, as you know, I was gone for a little over a week. And uh, uh, sometimes probably a lot of people think that I kind of just go and hang out and have fun. And I do. It is. I have a great time. But I want to kind of bring you in a little bit into what I do. Sometimes I'm gone during the week. You don't know it. Sometimes it's two days where I'll fly up to Oregon or Washington, do some coaching, do some consulting or whatever. And I love what I do. I, 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 I got to tell you, I'm, I'm highly privileged. I don't know why I get to do what I do other than God just kind of said, for whatever reason, I'm going to help this poor boy out and maybe let him help some others out. And, and it really is. It's an incredible privilege. And then I get to be on this missions board and I get to, I get to go to, I mean, I just grew up in Portland. I never left Oregon until I was in college. And now I get to go different parts of the world. It's, it's pretty amazing. And it's only because of Jesus and his touch upon my life. And so I, I want to just this morning kind of bring you in a little bit in what I did just recently. And let's, it kind of gives you maybe some insight into what I do. Uh, one of the things I told the council a couple, about a year or so ago, I said, you know, I get to serve with Jim Plummer, who used to pastor this church. He was my, he's my spiritual father, my mentor. He gave me my start in ministry. And I said, I want to, whenever I go on these, because we serve on the missions board together, I usually go a day early and hang out with him and just to receive from him. And because uh, he's not, he's in his 80s, so I don't know how long I get to be with him. But it's an opportunity for me just to stay connected to my spiritual father, who's blessed me in so many ways. And uh, so we, we started in Miami, and uh, you'll see this picture here. We're at a golf course in Miami, and uh, this is one of my friends. He's like, I don't know, I, don't, I, I didn't even look it up. I don't know if it's an iguana or a lizard. But I'll tell you what I did. I sent this in a text to Trina, and she goes, wow, they got alligators there. <laughs> now, now, what I know is that she wasn't wearing her glasses, so, um, whatever, but we did later, we, we, we did see, um, we did see an alligator in the pond and, and just so you know, I don't golf nearly as much as you think I do, but I did here. And, uh, that's what I love about my bride. You know, she just kind of, whatever it looks like. So we, we golfed, that was in Miami. And then we left, uh, on a Saturday, uh, night, three and a half hour flight. Some of you said last week, you know, go, oh, I'm glad, but did you have a good time in Trinidad up North and. And you were thinking like Northern California, and then somebody else go, now is that down in Southern California? Well, it's a little further south. Um, it's about a six-hour flight to Miami, and then it's a three-and-a-half-hour flight from Miami to Trinidad because Trinidad is, uh, a three, is, is eight miles off the Venezuelan coast of South America uh, for those who maybe need just a little geography lesson. And uh, so uh, it was an interesting thing. It's, it's a lot of work to go on these things. It's a lot of fun. But uh, so we left at um, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, and it was a three and a half hour flight, got there about midnight, went through customs, had an hour and a half drive to our hotel, and uh, let's see the next picture. This is the church that I got to speak in uh, two weeks ago. You'll see the pastor in just a minute, and is on the right, I actually spent two years in Bible college with him. And um, he invited me to come and speak at his church. So this gives you an idea of some of the Trinidadian churches' culture. Here's my friend, pastor of the church, just retired today. This is his last Sunday. 
uh, go to the next picture, if you would. Um, that's my uh, Andy and Anne Marie Homer. They pastored there for 31 years. And uh, like I said, I went to school with them for two years. A lot of stories about them, but just a precious, precious couple. Now, just listen, it's really important. Um, don't ever complain about how long service goes here. <laughs> um, get this, I was, I had to get up, at, we, I, I got to the hotel about two o'clock in the morning, had to get up at six to get ready for church. They have church earlier there because it's really hot. So I had to be at church by, uh, by 9.15. Now church, we had church, and we had church. It was like three hours we had church. And no, I only preached like for 35 or 40 minutes, and I think they felt like they got gypped. Um, <laughs> and you feel like I go overtime, but they felt gypped. And, uh, um, but it was three hours, and then we went, and they, we, we, they took me out to lunch at this, uh, 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 actually, council member's house of San Fernando, the city. And um, had uh, curried goat, curried duck, curried chicken, curried garbanzo beans, <laughs> curried shrimp. And uh, it was just delightful. And then I was just so, I mean, they just feed you so much. I was stuffed. And then we went to the uh, final night of a missions conference in Trinidad. And that service went four hours. So, like, I had, you know, I probably shouldn't even be here today. I've got church taken care of, like, for a month. <laughs> And uh, no, I'm just kidding. It was great. I loved every minute of it. Uh, but but and, and listen, so don't complain about the length of our services and don't complain about the noise level because they are loud. And it doesn't matter where you sit. There's no dead spots. They're just loud and it's great. I love it. But uh, I just let you know. Okay, next, next thing. This is the church. This is the background here uh, of the church. And uh, these are, it's, it's always interesting. Whenever I go to places, I always seem to, I, I kind of have the joy of connecting with young people. Uh, that's Gabrielle on the left. That's Bari in the middle. He's, uh, he's uh, 18. And then Jesse on the right is 23. And Jesse sat in the front row with me. And uh, just a wonderful heart. Incredible story of God's grace. He comes to this church a, few, a couple years ago. And um, after service, they always have an altar call. People come up and get prayed for. So as I'm praying with him, I didn't get a chance to talk to him during service, but afterwards I prayed for him. And he says, you know, uh, it was kind of a weird thing. He says, pray for my groin. And, he, and I go, okay. And he goes, well, I, I got shot. So he's still got a bullet in his groin, in a groin area here. And uh, so I was praying for him. And then afterwards I sat down and got to talk to these three young people. And they were just very gracious and loving. And I noticed Jesse sitting next to him, he had a little teardrop on his, next to his eye. And if you know what that means, it usually means somebody's been in jail and they've killed somebody. I said, Jesse, tell me, about the, uh, tell me about the teardrop there. And he goes, oh, Jesus has just done a wonderful work in my life and I'm so glad to be here. And so now he's training. He wants to go into ministry, but before he does that, he's actually training now to become an uh, 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 Olympic boxer. And so he's got to get this surgery and everything taken care of. But just a sweet little, you know, group of young people there that uh, for whatever reason I got to connect with them and touch base with them. And great story. Next slide. Uh, this is a church. This is a little church. That was on Sunday, and then we went to a missions conference, and then Sunday morning we got up. This is uh, a church. It's in Bay, it's called, it's called the Bayshore Community. And that would be, you know, like saying that, uh, uh, you know, like Virginia Hills Community or something like that or, uh, what is it? Vintage Air Community. What is that called over there? 
Uh, yeah. So it, it's like a community like that. It's not like on the map, but it's known as that. Well, this is called the Bayshore community. And in the Bayshore community where this church is, it's kind of at this entrance point. And this is like probably one of the roughest communities in San Fernando. If you go to the next uh, thing, here's the pastors. The pastor on the right, they're closest to us, and his wife is on the left. Now, he works at a refinery. It's big down there. have a couple of big refineries. And powerful story. This church is kind of small. It probably only seats about 50, 60 people. You'll see it here. And uh, this church is right kind of at the entry point of, of Bayshore. And then Bayshore uh, goes uh, left and right. And you'll see here, this is, called, uh, this is called the line. What this is, is back in the 60s, there used to be a railroad tracks that went all the way, uh, both ways for miles. And they took those out. And now they've pavement, they've paved that in. And so now they call this the line. So, but what's unique about this is this is a place where very few people will go unless they live there. Um, It would be like your thinking if maybe we said something like not to stereotype, but just how people think. Uh, If we went into the tough parts of Richmond or Oakland, that's what that is. We walked outside the church and there's people doing drug deals and people taking drugs and just a very interesting place. So what we call, what it was called is we're walking the line. And what we did is we'd walk up and down. And uh, the, the, the white uh, uh, missionary from the United States that's working there and doing some things with the Trinidadians uh, has developed great relationships along with the pastor. Literally that pastor there, he's had opportunities. He's done such a great job that they've invited him to take other churches, bigger churches, better churches, quote, and he says, no, I feel like God's called me here to really reach this community because it's a very, very rough, rough, drug-infested community. And so they talk about walking the line. It's very poor. So uh, you see the next slide where we just went out and spent half the day going around and praying for people and meeting people. And because of this uh, missionary and the pastor's um, influence there, <clears throat> the, 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 the community literally is transforming. There's fewer murders now and uh, just a lot less drug traffic, although it's still very evident. Uh, This is at a Rastafarian uh, church area where they do animal sacrifices and stuff. And what's interesting is we got to meet some of the Rastafarians there, and a lot of times they hate white people, but because of the relationship, we were welcomed there, and they even let us take some pictures. See the next picture? Uh, this is one of the ladies we prayed for, her husband to the left. I didn't take a picture of him because he was crippled on his bed. He'd had a stroke, so he was severely handicapped. We prayed for him. And uh, you just see these people. A lot of people are just looking for Jesus, and so we, we prayed for them. Next picture. Here is uh, just uh, this is along the line, the walk. You just go through some of the houses, and here's this little harbor. Interesting um, Venezuela now, if you just go to the right, straight right, eight miles off the course, this here is a major area where drugs come in from Venezuela, and then they end up going and being spread out, walking the line in Bayshore. And uh, I got to pray for the people doing, you know, doing the fishing there. People were, uh, guys were fixing nets, and they were cleaning fish. And if you see this next picture, um, never seen this before, but you can't really tell, but in this bucket is a little shark. And then the one with the big fin, if, if, if you could see it, it's actually a hammerhead shark, a small hammerhead shark. So, you know, out in these waters, there's some pretty significant critters that, uh, that you've got to be careful of. But I'd never seen one up close and personal, and hopefully that's about the biggest I'll ever see. 
So, but, uh, so yeah, next picture. We just walked there. And then up the ways away, this is a, a Shaquille O'Neal came there and built this basketball court and little stadium so that kids would have something to do besides just run around and be around all the stuff that goes on. So, um, the next one. This is Norman. He's part of the church. Another incredible story. Uh, his, his testimony is, is that he, was, um, he wanted to be what part of the gangs, one of the, the Bayshore gangs. And we saw his brother there who was stoned and was a, basically a drug dealer there. We met him, but he was highly he was just stoned out of his mind. Norman was part of this gang and to become part of the gang. Part of the initiation was that he had to go uh, hold up a pastor in the church. So he went and beat up a pastor, held up the pastor in the church and got money from him. Got that. Next thing he had to do is there was a security guard. So they said, listen, go, go hold up that security guard and get his money because he had, um, I think it was actually a security guard, like an armored guard guy. So he went to do that. The guy pulled a gun on him and shot him in the head. And so if you, you can't see it, but he's had a lot of reconstructive surgery in his head. Well, he ends up coming to that little church in Bayshore and comes to Christ. And now just this last month, he was actually a first level in-stay graduate preparing for the ministry. And as he's, as he's come out of all of his past, he's standing in the middle of a field where he actually developed this field so that the church, with, and he's the leader of it, could actually provide food for people in the Bayshore uh, kind of housing area. And uh, it became so successful, the government actually took him away from it, or took it away from him, but now he still gets some access to it to give out stuff. But the government took it. If you go way in the back over his shoulder, you'll see they have pig pens there. And um, they have pig pens, and they use that to slaughter them and provide food for people. So just an incredible story of God's amazing grace. Uh, next one. And then the, excuse me, that little church down below, they have this little kindergarten with about 20 little kids. And um, <clears throat> we walked in at nap time, rest time. And you'll see that little guy on the left. That was me in school. <laughs> I, uh, we, we never had nap time, but I still took it. And uh, uh, fortunately, I was able to get through. And, uh, but just sweet little precious little kids, the working families come to this. And what's interesting is a, a lot of the families that bring their kids to this, because of the reputation of the church, they will bring their kids and leave them there, even though it's right at the entry point of Bayshore, because most people, politicians, never used to go into Bayshore because of the, the reputation that it had. Now people are bringing little kids to this church because of the transformation that's taking place. Um, is there another one? Yeah. Uh, the national directors of missions there who we met with, just wonderful, wonderful men of God and women of God. Um, we met with them, and we met with them actually a year ago in, uh, in Mexico. Uh, they came from Trinidad to meet with us and kind of build some relationship. And so these guys said to Jim and I, he says, listen, we're going to take you golfing. And so we had this window while everybody else went shopping uh, on the missions board team, they took us golfing here. We got in five holes, and it's probably the worst course I've ever played on. <laughs> but I got to play. What the key was is the relationship with these guys, and uh, they're just wonderful, wonderful men. So that was my trip. I mean, it just went nonstop from Sunday to Thursday. So I think that's, is that the last one? Yeah. So that's what I did. 
And uh, that's the privilege that I have of, uh, of going and being a part of that. So um, I, 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 I love it. I want, to, um, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15, and I want to springboard. I've got to do it quickly now. I was thinking as we head to Easter, you know, I never want our church to lose what we do, who we are. And there's vision leaks, and sometimes we forget about what the calling is. I know that one of the reasons that I'm, I love going on these trips is because it always refreshes my spirit on what God's called us to do. And always when I'm there, I sit there and I think how thankful I am for this church. Because while we don't have a strong investment in Trinidad right now in terms of giving or support, I think of all of the places around the world that our harvest offering helps support and gives to. And then I think about all the things we do locally and the way that that you have given over the years to build our missions mandate here. And, and, And sometimes I just want to continually keep that before us and never let us forget. Our call is very simple. It's to reach the lost in a lost world. And we've been talking about these crossroads, places where some people encounter Jesus while he's on his way to the cross and where his life intersected with theirs, and and it brought them to these crossroads. And it changed their life. Some it did, some it didn't, but they all encountered Jesus. And I want us to never forget that ultimately that's our call, because for most of us in this room, or at least by the time we're done today, Jesus will encounter every one of us. Creekside Church will never change your life. A talk will never change your life. A song will never change your life, but Jesus will. And while we may be able to point to a talk or to a song or to a person, it's really the person ultimately that's at work in your life that brings change and transformation. And I never want us to forget that, loved ones. So we come to this story today. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners, basically all the bad people, they were approaching to listen to Jesus. I love that. They're, they're, they they want to hear him. Uh, scripture says in numerous places, the people heard him gladly. The common folk heard him gladly. Why? Because I think he was the first rabbi that people could understand and that made sense. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they were complaining though. These are the religious dogs of the day. I mean, they were the big guys. And they were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus launches into this this parable. And sometimes we see it as three different parables, but it's really just a symphony with three different stanzas and parts to it. And I'm just going to read the first one because a lot of us are familiar with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. There's two key elements that every one of those stories bring forth that Jesus wants to, he wants to reveal. He wants us to never forget. He wants it to become part of our DNA of who we are as people in a church. And it's really this. We reach the lost and we're people of repentance. So Jesus tells him this story. He says, What man among you who is a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field to go after the lost one until he finds it? Doesn't matter how much time he's got to search, man, he's going after it. And then when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders 
And coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And it's not that 99 people don't need repentance, it's just that they forget that they need repentance. And I want to talk kind of about those two things this morning. Because Jesus, he's sitting here and he's eating, and, and these people, these, these religious leaders are just ticked off because Jesus is running with this rough crowd. These, these are the Bayshore people. And this would have been like the religious leaders saying, what in the world are you doing staying here and working with these people? You, you're, you're a prophet, and you're interacting with the likes of these but Jesus, who knows everything you ever think, everything you've ever done or anything you'll ever do, he's reading their thoughts and their intention, and immediately he launches in to that story and two others. And he says, never forget your need to reach the lost or that you're lost or your ongoing need to repent because that's what brings joy to heaven. And what you want to see, loved ones, it's all about Jesus. And because his life is real, it's all about Jesus. He made his life all about us. Jesus' mission is clear. In this chapter, he is reaching for those who are far from him. And don't forget, what makes this so, so important is that he's headed to the cross. The reason we live today is because we have experienced this side of the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, that we are ambassadors of Christ Jesus to bring peace and reconciliation to the people around you. Do we live with that awareness? When I'm walking through Bayshore, when I'm walking through Bay Point, when I'm walking tomorrow through the office or the factory, am I aware that I am to be an ambassador? And that's not just someone who, who is a messenger for Jesus. It's somebody who literally represents him wherever we go, where his hands, where his heart, where his words, where his mouth, where everything extended. It's so powerful when you walk through places where people just say, would you just please pray with me? And I know we don't get that a lot in the States. But these people who are so down and out, oh, would you just pray with me? I hesitate to tell this story because I didn't get permission for it, but I, uh, Trina and I, when we come home now, we really try and make it an effort to sit down and kind of just do some face-to-face time and what happened during your day and what's going on in your life and that. And this last week, we, we, we exchanged, you know, just our day, and she goes, you know, it was just a joy because I had this gal say something to me, and you have to understand, Trina was going to take a day off on Friday to... Uh, just get some stuff ready for some church stuff that she's working on and doing and a run that she had yesterday. And so she had, but she ended up going into work just to take care of some details. Uh, even though she had put in for a personal necessity day, she went in, took care of some things. And one of the gals looked at her and she goes, you know something, Trina? Trina was just relaying this to me and just kind of thankful that people would even notice. And she goes, you know, um, Trina, uh, there's a lot of people that say they're a Christian but you're one of the few people that I can say really lives it. And my wife is telling me that, and I'm not only really proud of her, but I'm thinking, Lord, would you just give me some of that? I, I, I want to I be Jesus to people 
to that. I want to be an ambassador. I want to represent Jesus in a way that people go, you know something? You're not just a preacher. You're a Jesus follower. Because it's all about him, loved ones. And I never want us to forget that as a church. We see in this test, the text that it's all about Jesus, the good shepherd who goes after people, who wants to reach people with his redemptive love and grace. And you and I now, most of us in this room have experienced that life, and guess what? That's what our life has to be about. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say. Because we not only see it's all about Jesus, but it's all about his sheep. Jesus starts with this story about a shepherd. He says, listen, he's got 99 sheep. They're safe and secure, but one's got away. And this becomes more profound and more pronounced for the simple reason. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's gonna die. And so the urgency now is being ramped up with all the people around him, the religious leaders. He's sitting here talking to lost sheep and he wants them to know it. That's his ultimate mission is to reach the lost. Why does God seek? Well, the scripture says in Isaiah 53 that like, uh, like, like we're all like sheep. We've gone astray. Psalm 100 says that we're the sheep of his pasture. People are just like sheep. We have this incredible capacity and tendency to drift and to get lost due to sin. We can't find our way. Sheep wander aimlessly. They get mixed up so easily. They literally can follow a, tra- a trail of garbage. They can start eating it and follow it to the place where they could literally fall off a cliff and not even know it. That's how dumb they are. How does that make you feel? But isn't it true about us? So, we, so easily, we can begin to just kind of nibble our way away from the things of Jesus and go astray. That's why Jesus said in, in Matthew nine thirty six, he's looking at this mass of people and he says, I see sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he was moved and he had compassion for them and he began to minister to them. So we see Jesus as this great shepherd. He goes out and he searches and what does he do? As soon as he finds this lost sheep, he doesn't beat it, but he picks it up and he grabs it and he drapes it around his shoulders and around his neck. Oh, think with me, it wouldn't be too much longer. What does he do? Scripture tells us that he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, heading to Golgotha. What does he have on his shoulder? He's got the cross. Why? Because now he's gonna be the sacrificial lamb for you, for me. For, for humanity past, humanity present, past and future. So he's on his way back to the flock, the shepherd with the lamb. What does he do? He grabs his friends and his neighbors and he shouts out, rejoice with me. I have found the sheep that was lost. God is always wanting to bring you back, me back, and the people around us back. Now remember, Jesus is talking to these murmuring religious people. They're listening and they're upset because they don't think Jesus should be conducting himself in the proper way. But this is what Jesus says, and I love this because I got to believe that he actually sees these people. It's like they're in his crosshairs. 
And he's looking at him and he says, I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one repenting sinner than the 99 who are already in the sheepfold. Bible calls us sheep because we have the nature to stray, to wander, and to move away from the great shepherd, Jesus. But hear me, loved ones, Jesus will always aggressively pursue you, track you down, come after you, so that he can bring you back into the security of his fold. I want you to see a couple of things about that because it's about Jesus and it's about his sheep but it's also about you and me and how we respond as individuals and as a church. This is what I've learned over the years and that healing people establish a healing community. Just recently, I've heard from two people that said one of the things they love about Creekside is the emphasis on truth with grace. We're not going to shy away from the truth, but we're going to speak and we're going to envelop it in the grace of Christ. Because see, an essential characteristic of healing people and a healing church is that we move away and we resist the human tendency to categorize people. Isn't it so easy to see people as young, as old, as black, brown, young, old, rich, poor, smart, dumb, successful, unsuccessful. And we can so easily begin to data, to just kind of go through the data and begin to characterize people. Yet one of the first giant steps that leads us away from love is to view people as a representative of something or simply as a statistic. And we begin to simply categorize them instead of seeing them as this unique individual creation of the living and loving God of the universe that literally creates each one of us for purpose, for destiny, for his glory. But we just kind of begin to categorize and want people together. I got a pilot in our church. I need to ask her about this, but it's interesting whenever I travel and even reading the paper this week about the tragedy in Germany, France. Isn't it interesting that when people are uh, in, in communication of flight, they always talk about souls. We have 150 souls on board. I love that because that doesn't depersonalize because the soul is really the emotional, the person, the inner one that we are. And one of the greatest things that we can do is touch people at the soul level and not see them as just another person, but the soul, the spirit that God has created People are people, loved ones. They're not categories. And they cannot be painted with just simply broad strokes across the board. One of my favorite people some years ago, uh, Tony Campolo, was telling the story about he was a university professor in Pennsylvania. And he told the story one time when he was teaching a class on ethics. And he was talking about the ethics of Jesus. And he paused and he asked this question, how do you think Jesus felt about the prostitute and Mary Magdalene? People thought about it in the class. Students thought about it. Finally, one student raised their hand and blurted it out. He never saw one. Compoe was thinking for a second, and he's thinking, well, does this guy really understand? Does he get the gist of the question? And he finally said, well, I hear what you're saying, but do you really understand the question, or could you unpack that a little bit more for me? And the young man said, you bet, sure. The student replied, Jesus never saw a prostitute. 
He only saw a person. He only saw a woman. And see, loved ones, our, our, our culture conditions us to divide and to throw up walls, doesn't it? I love taking little Isaac, our grandson, to the park, and oftentimes just the park right down here. We'll run down there, and it's amazing. We'll go, and there'll be kids out there. You know what he always does? He just runs up to him. You know what he says? Hi, I'm Isaac. It doesn't matter if they're a little girl. It doesn't matter if they're African-American or black or yellow or green. Or, it doesn't matter what. He just runs up. Hi, I'm Isaac. And he wants to play with them. And what I always do is I always look at the parents to see what they're going to think. And you know what most of the parents do? They turn away and look down. Because somewhere in our lives, we've come to this place where we've learned to build up barriers and walls. We don't trust. We don't care. And we only learn that as we get older because little kids like Isaac, they just run and play and accept everybody where they are. But not only do we learn this about erecting barriers, I think it's a pretty biblical statement because Revelation 12.10, some of us are familiar with it. It says Satan is called the accuser of the brethren in that last end times passage he's talking. And he says, the, the enemy of your soul is going to accuse you over and over. The word accuser there in the original language is categor. It's really systemic to the root word, English word that we have for category. See, Satan is this eternal categorizer. What is his purpose? What is his plan? It's to divide. It's to look at you. It's to speak into you and accuse you and categorize you and say, you're nothing. You can't do this. You're a failure. You're a zippo. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're a loser. How many of us have heard that? And over time, we begin to believe it and we'll categorize ourselves. And then we wonder why we have such a hard time moving forward in the life of Jesus. But Jesus comes to destroy those barriers. Unity is so interwoven into the fabric of the Trinitarian Godhead. Jesus goes to the cross to reunite us. It's at the cross that Jesus destroys the barriers and the divisions between man and God. And ultimately, in the process, he can begin to break down the barriers between man and women and our neighbors. That's why community was so important once we followed Jesus. See, Satan wants to destroy God's people and diminish the power of the gospel in our lives. And hear me, loved ones, that's why as a church... We have to stay real. Because see, a lot of times what churches do is we, we begin to put off this vibe that we're, that we're a kind of a culture of the arrival, that we've arrived. And so when people come in here, if we have this vibe that we've arrived, what do they do? There's certain responses that people begin to act like. First of all, they'll hide. They'll avoid the light and remain superficial because they see that, oh boy, these guys have all arrived. It's like the Pharisees there. The reason they look down on the people that Jesus was trying to reach is because they felt they'd arrived. Why? Because they were religious people. But people can't relate to that. And so when they come into a community of the arrived, instead of people who say, you know something, I'm on this journey with you. 
yeah, I may be further along, but it's kind of like, if you know, we should probably do this some Sunday, once a month or something, and just stand up and just say, hi, I'm Terry, I'm a sinner. So that we never forget, because if we forget, people will come in here and they'll begin to do things like they will hide and avoid the light and remain superficial. They'll put on a pretense. Or they'll begin to judge, which is often the consequence of hiding from our own sin. So we'll pick out those things in other people. Or we'll pretend and we'll become hypocrites and we'll put on masks so others don't see the truth. That's exactly what the religious leaders did. See, that's why Jesus loved them. Because he could talk about sin and sinners and say, I've come to track you down. We're all on this journey to Jesus together, aren't we? It's going to look different. That's why we've got to see people as people, not objects, and see them as souls. Because when we can do that, hear me, loved ones, there's great value, and there can begin to be great celebration for the steps that people make and take. That's why we still share the good news. That's why we're ambassadors. In all three of the stories, what Jesus does is he talks about adding value because he pursues and calls home the lost. And as we see in this thing here, back then, a lot of times the sheep, the lambs, they would have been almost like pets. And what do they do? They begin to hear the voice of the shepherd. John 10 tells us that that's what we're to do, that we get to tune our ear to the voice of Jesus, the great shepherd because God aggressively seeks us to restore our sense of value. Jesus isn't just focusing here on religious people that he's ticked off at. He never wants these people to forget. Those listeners there and us today, the heart of God puts value on individuals. But because of sin, the dust of life, tendency to stray, we can move away from Jesus. What causes joy in heaven? Two things. It says here. When the lost are found and people repent. The word repentance isn't used much anymore, is it? It's probably because it's misunderstood. We started a wonderful discussion Friday morning with our men's group. What does repentance mean? Because repentance, loved ones, is really the pathway to the kingdom. If you read Matthew chapter 3, it says, John the Baptist came preaching repentance because the kingdom of God was there. Can I tell you what these religious leaders forgot to do? They forgot they needed to live a life of repentance. What is repentance? Is it feeling bad? No. Is it crying? No. Is it coming forward? No. It can involve all those things, but here's what repentance means. It means God speaks to you and you think on it and you change your direction. You do a 180 and you go a different direction. That's what repentance is. That's what brings joy in heaven. And when you are a person of repentance, when I am a person of repentance, guess what? We will never develop a religious heart because we'll see how far we still have to go. I was reminded of that as I left that meeting Friday. It's just so easy to begin to think you're better than what you are. 
And as I left, the Lord reminded me, you know something, there's a few things you probably need to repent of. Oh, come on, Lord, it's, you know, just teaching a class here, just, you know. No, no, that's a religious heart whenever you think you've arrived. And then pretty soon, you'll look down on other people that don't arrive. And guess what? That will begin to become toxic to a community. And then people will never be able to find Jesus because all they'll see is religion. The only thing we have to offer is Jesus. Would you stand with me? Would you just bow your heads for a moment? And I know I got to get you out of here quick, but it's possible somebody's here today and you need Jesus. You've never repented. You've never changed the course of your life. And you can't. The only thing you can do is make a decision to follow him and then he'll begin to empower you. And if you've never done that today, I invite you to do that. Say, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you. I want to be found by you. And I want to follow you. And then fill out on your connection slip. Let us know so we can celebrate with you along with heaven that you're following Jesus. Now hear me, this is for the church. It's possible you've been following Jesus for a long time. And maybe you've lost your heart for the lost. Or maybe there's sin in your life that basically you're nibbling on it and it's pulling you away from the shepherd. And today it's time to repent and say, forgive me, Lord. I want to come back to you. It could be small, it could be big. But Jesus says, I'm calling you back. I'm coming after you because I love you. And as you do that, that's what gives us the power to be able to speak into people's lives. So just take a moment there, would you? You don't have to get out a spiritual shovel and dig. The Holy Spirit will make it really clear. He's probably already done that. That's what I love about the Holy Spirit. He can do things no preacher, no musician, no friend could ever do. But you can't just feel bad about it. You gotta make a decision. Confess it. Die to self. Go another direction.